Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Chapter 5, beginning at verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear... For the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. For we Commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that we may have somewhat to answer them which glory in the appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead died for all, they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him that died for them, and arose again. Wherefore henceforth knoweth we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, behold, all things are become new. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. He that made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word, we pray earnestly that We have come for no other reason than to be filled with your goodness, your love, your spirit. May this word have meaning to us and bless our hearts and lives. As a result, Lord, may we go out to do that which is your will, speak to the lost about their need for Christ. If there are unsaved in this congregation this morning, speak, Lord, to them in a special way cause a change of heart, they might be saved. We 
pray in Christ's name. Yeah. I want to basically this morning deal with the question to those of us who are Christian people is why we really do what we do for the Lord. What, what compels you to come to church this morning? Well, make that decision. <coughs> why do you read your Bible? Why did you come to Sunday school this morning and study? Why did you teachers spend some hours of preparing the lesson? Why will some of you come back tonight? Why do all of this? Unless there's some reason. You've heard of peer pressure. That is, we feel pressed to be like our neighbor. Kids in school feel pressured to look and act and dress and talk like everybody else does. If you go to school now, it's different as to what you wear than what it was a few years ago. When I was teaching school, the way you dressed was you boys opened their shirt three buttons down to bare their chest, hoping that somebody might see that they were becoming a man with that one hair that finally began to grow on the chest. And the collar was turned up. That just bugged me to death. And I would say to the boys every day, come into class, button your shirt and turn down your collar. You think I succeeded, though, because everybody was doing it. Just a few years ago, in college, it was the it was the, the way to dress was everything was to be very, very stiff and starched. And I, I have a, a nephew who is graduating this year, and I've noticed a tremendous difference in his dress. He wanted everything just so-so about four years ago. Today he wants it wrinkled and holes in it. Can you imagine going to the store and buying a pair of jeans that have already got the holes in them? When I was a kid, those would have gone out for patching. We dress like everybody else's dress. It's got to be, uh, I discovered the hard way, sneakers that cost a hundred bucks. I mean, those little cheap things won't, won't do. Hairstyle. Got to be just long hair now is the thing, I guess, amongst boys. Uh, there's a few people that uh, wear it in the back because they can't wear it on top. Right, Danny? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. You see what I'm talking about? We have our patterns of falling into doing what other people expect of us, and we'll work hard at it to be like somebody else wants us to be. Won't we? We want to be well-pleasing to other people, to do and to be like the crowd. We want to hear, I like you. Gee, you dress right. We want to hear those words. We ought to say them more. You look nice. Gee, you're pretty today. We don't do enough of that, I'm sure. But why are we doing it? Because we want to please somebody. We want somebody to say, I like you. You're neat. Or whatever the words are now amongst the teenagers, you're cool or 
something. We want to be accepted. Paul says that many people labor, and himself included because he used the word we, in verse 9, we labor for the Lord in order that we might be acceptable to him. Now that's pretty good pressure. Some of us probably have not gotten in, in step with the times. Well, we don't dress with the times or, or uh, have our hairstyles in the times. But more importantly, there is the desire on the part of a Christian to have God say to him, I'm pleased with you. I'm satisfied. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We labor for the Lord because we want to please him. That ought to be the largest reason, perhaps, that we can think of for serving the Lord. But why do we do that? And he answers it in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now let's look at those words again. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. For what purpose? That we can receive from him the things done in our physical life. Whether it's good or whether it's bad. We're not going to escape it. Somebody preached a sermon that became famous, and I've forgotten who the person preached it was, but I remember the title of it, There's Going to Be a Payday Someday. There is. We can be out of style here upon earth as far as God is concerned, but someday we're going to stand before him and answer for the holes in our jeans and the style of our hair. I'm using this figuratively. What I'm saying is we're going to be responsible for him for the way we have lived in this world. What we have done or what we have not done, we will be responsible. We will stand before his judgment and give an account of our life. I used to call kids in when I was principal to the office for them to give an account of themselves for their action. Now listen, there is a great principal called the Lord Jesus for whom we shall all stand and give an account of the things that we have done in this life. There used to be a television program 
that was supposed to be a surprise to the person that they were honoring and called, this is your life. All those people from the past came onto the stage and all those things, you remember it? Listen, there's a day coming when we're going to have a This Is Your Life program standing before the throne of God. It's all going to be revealed. <coughs> yes, there's a day of reckoning. There is a judgment seat. A time of accounting. Our Lord gave us the parable of the talents, which he said that a, a mighty man called his servants to him and told them that he was going on a long journey and that he was going to give them some money. It's called talents. One he gave five, one he gave two, and one he gave one. And he said, I want you to use this till I return. Then there will be an accounting. There will be an accounting. Whether good or bad, we're going to stand there, and I can imagine that in human terms, physical terms, the perspiration is going to break out on our brow. Our knees will knock. We will shake and quake. Wondering if we will really hear the words, well done, our good and faithful servant. But that's not the only reason he gives us here for why we serve the Lord. is because we want to be acceptable to him. Over in the 14th verse, he gives us another reason. He says, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Why do we do what we do? Because I believe we can't help but do it. We have to. We are constrained by the love of Christ to serve him. And the reason that he gives here in verse 14 to me is quite interesting. Because, in our judgment, we understand it, that's what you can say there, because we thus judge, because we have determined that the love of Christ constrains us because it is our understanding that one person died for all, therefore all people are dead. Clarence spoke of this in Sunday school class a bit this morning. Every person is dead, but can be given a new life because Christ loves us that much. And because of that, he says in verse 15, since he died for all, they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him that died for them. Now listen to that.
Are you alive because of the love of Christ? Then you are constrained by that love to not live for yourself. The term selfish and Christian don't mesh. Don't mesh. If a person is selfish, that is a prime indicator that he's not saved. I say an indicator because we can't make those determinations. One who lives for self-gratification has not grasped the truth that Christ died for them and therefore is constrained to not live for self but for somebody else. If you are saved and are still selfish, if you are, then you bring shame upon Christ. Because it is the purpose of every Christian to reflect Jesus Christ. And if we're selfish and still Christian, we're bringing dishonor upon the name of the person who was absolutely unselfish to the point that he would give himself to die for. The words I, me, my, and mine ought not take precedence over other pronouns in the English language for the Christian. It ought not be what do I get and what is mine and you owe that to me. Those words ought to not take precedence because we are constrained by the love of Christ to live for other people not ourself. You know, when a person becomes a Christian, he changes his way of looking at things. Did you know that? That change begins to develop within the, the individual, within his life, his lifestyle, his thoughts, his outlooks on life. And he begins to look at people differently. Look at somebody and what do you see? Some of you looking at me say, well, I see an old man who's got gray hair. I would expect that reaction. His eyesight's not too good because he has to wear glasses. That's the first thing we see. We see the physical. We see people who are beautiful and not so beautiful. We see people who are delightful and not so delightful physically. But I want you to look again 
Now what do you see? Look a second time. I see a spirit. I see something deeper than the physical. I'm beginning to see the real person is not what appears on the outside. The real person is what is inside, and I'm beginning to understand what that person is because something is coming out of that person that I now see. I'm not looking just at a physical being. We're looking at somebody who has something inside. Look further. And you begin to say, well, I believe I see the image of God. That person looks like God. Isn't that how we were made? And isn't that the state to which we are trying to return? Made in his image and therefore reflect him? Look a little further. 17th verse, Paul says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, new creature, all things have become new. Look at that person again who, you know, has just become, become saved or has been saved for many years. What do you see? Oh, I don't know that person as he was because that person is dead. What am I seeing? I see a new person. Not a remade person. And you see, here comes the problem. Some people pretend to be new when they're nothing but made over. Some people pretend to be new when they've just patched up their old life and they look new. But one doesn't have to look long until he can see whether or not, in his own mind at least, that person is really what he says he is. Is he a patched up old person who is pretending to be something? Or is he really new? Look inside. We will reveal ourselves eventually to the gazer. I'll see you for what you really are, and you'll see me for what I really am. We'll look crosswise at each other. Behold, we might say, though we don't use that old English term anymore, my goodness, that person is different. Why? Because I see a new person. What made him new? Well, he had a new birth. He's a new person. You know, there's a miracle here. More than one, of course. But one of the miracles, as I see it, is that God gives me, gives you, the capacity to look beneath the surface and see the new person. I've got new eyes. 
for the first time as a Christian, I see things differently, say, than ever before. Why do we serve Christ? Because we want to be acceptable to Him. Secondly, because we can't help it, we are constrained, we're drawn by the power of Christ. And thirdly, because we see things differently than we've seen them before. Now, when we get to that point, then the Lord gives us a responsibility. Verse 18. God who has reconciled, that is, he has restored us to himself through Christ. The person who is restored to God through Christ has a responsibility. Look what it is in verse 18. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of seeing to it that people are restored. The ministry of preaching the love of Christ. We're constrained to do it. We can't help but do it. You've heard it said many times and you no doubt have said it. I couldn't help myself. I had to do that. I think we need to be capable of saying the same thing. I could not help it. I had to serve the Lord. I had to go to church. I had to speak to that person about salvation. I had to visit the sick. I was compelled to do it by a force beyond myself. The love of Christ constrains us. I have a demand placed upon me to serve him. We have a mission. Serve the Lord. Why are you serving? Because you want him to accept you. You want him to say, you're a pretty good servant. Well done. Well done. But beyond that, why do you serve him? Because you just can't help yourself. There's a power inside you that just demands that you go to church, that you pray, that you read your Bible, that you visit, that you talk to people about the Lord. And when you get to that point, your eyes are going to see people differently than you've ever seen them before. You're not going to worry about it those superficial, physical things that they do. And say, my goodness, a Christian would never do that. But look inside the soul. Look inside, deeper, into the spirit. And see there a person for whom Christ died. And see that they're a new creature. They're a baby. They need help. It's our job to help them. We're constrained to serve the Lord. Just can't do that. Let's pray. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.